Uh, well, it's really wonderful to be uh, with you this morning. Um, as Sue says, my name's Mike Betts. I'm married to Sue. We live in Lowestoft on the East Coast, where we've both been all our, all our lives, but we've been involved for 40 years in the church that uh, we helped found with a number of people when we uh, were very much younger than we are now, uh, and uh, still based there. But uh, um, And uh, in the last couple of years, we've been feeling God calling us into London for a season, so we're involved. We kind of thought we're in our six, just in our 60s now, and we thought, you either kind of come into land gracefully, or you think, no, let's go again. Yeah? So we thought, oh, all right, let's give it another go. So we have got involved in uh, an RM church. It's kind of a church plant, sort of three churches coming together to make a new one uh, in Kentish Town. In, um, it's very, you know, we're very in, you know, being in Kentish Town. Uh, it makes us feel young. And uh, it's a joy just to see what's happening there. It's um, Great thing, got given a building and a house and all sorts of things at the church plant in the middle of Kentish Town, which is ridiculous. And so we're, we're giving quite a bit of our time down there, and we're hoping we've got some accommodation we can rent for a little while. So we're going to base ourselves there in, in, in sort of rhythmic, uh, trying to find out the rhythm of being there and, and then fitting in the other things we do as well, as well as you know, still being based in Lowestoft for our, um, our longer term. So that's always good, and uh, a little bit involved in, in things in the Middle East that have been opening up over recent years, uh, privileged to gather lots and, well, what seems like, I don't know, it must be maybe 15 or so movement leaders across the Middle East now from representing about 22 different nations in the Middle East, and we have sort of regular Zoom calls together, building friendships, and just amazing, really, just to see the, the connections happening. And uh, some of you might know, a few years ago, we, we did a Christmas seed fund offering where we, we were going to uh, uh, start a business, a bakery, in a very war-torn area of the Middle East and uh, somewhere that's actually been sort of broadly affected by the recent earthquake. And we were thinking, oh gosh, is the, is the bakery going to be collapsed? And that we had news uh, came through just last week that all the buildings around the bakery have collapsed, but the bakery is still standing. And it's now actually become a hub where not only are they producing ba- the food, bread and, the, and their production is you know, still full pelt, but it's now actually become a bit of a community centre for people who've not got anything. And the church has been able to sort of really serve that community. So it was so encouraging to think that it's only a small little seed. It really is just a you know, small little business in the middle of a vast area of desolation. But it just encouraged me to think, you know, Little things we do in, 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 just in obedience and, and faith and trust, um, they often have bigger implications than we realize. And the uh, funny thing is, uh, as, you, as you all know, when you, when you start to sort of step out into new things, you never quite know, never quite know um, what God's up to. Um, which is, I'm going to talk a bit about that uh, this morning. But uh, I should have actually landed in... in um, in Beirut, uh, with with a few of us going out there on the on the <laughs> on the day of the earthquake, which I'm very glad we didn't, because I had to, I had to have some surger- surgery recently, and so we had to put the trip off. But if we'd have gone in there, obviously we weren't in, wouldn't have been in the earthquake zone. But all the things we'd have gone out there to do, we wouldn't have been able to do, and they're now no longer the priority because there's different priorities. So sometimes, even when God gives us delays, uh, it's because He knows things we don't know. And uh, it can feel a little sometimes frustrating to us, thinking, where, where are we going with this? 
And it can take sometimes, you know, years, can't it? Even God's people in the wilderness were wandering around for ages. Well, most of the time with them, it was their own fault. But actually, also, God, God was actually taking them, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, was taking them on a journey where he was doing things in them as they were doing things for him. Uh, and so we mustn't ever despise the day of small things or the day of d- days of uh, delay or of what seems to be you going in one direction and then actually... God seems to shut that down and something else happens. That is, that is what walking with God is about, because it's a relationship, it's not a map. Um, so I want to talk this morning for a little while about uh, laying a prophetic foundation in the local church and in our lives individually. And I'll explain what that is uh, as we go on. You might think, well, I don't know what, that's at, what that is. Well... <clears throat> Hopefully, I'll try and explain it. If you still don't know what it is at the end of the morning, you'll come and have a word with me, and I'll try again. So, just a few verses. So, Psalm, uh, Psalm 32 says this in verse 8. I, this is the Lord speaking, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. So there's a promise there from God that he actually will take the initiative in speaking to us and guiding us. And then Jesus sort of echoes that in the New Testament, doesn't he say, where he says, my, my sheep hear my voice. So there's a promise there that God gives that he is responsible for speaking to us. And I often find that when people are sort of, when all of us are questioning, well, what's God's will for my life? And we can get all a bit anxious sometimes about, what do I do? What do I do? What's the thing to do? Guidance is God's problem, not yours. Right? Guidance is his problem. He knows that we are like sheep. Sheep, with the greatest respect to all sheep, are not the greatest of intelligent creatures. We are it, calling us sheep in the Bible is not really uh, it's not a compliment if, uh, to be honest. He could have picked you know majestic eagles or whatever. But it is, no sheep. Sheep. If one jumps in the ditch, what will the rest do? They'll all jump in the ditch. Do they know why? No. Nobody knows why. I even saw a video recently of a flock of sheep that have been walking around in circles for ten days, and nobody knows nobody knows why they're doing it. Uh, but nobody. But none of them will stop because they're in a circle. It just keeps going. Keep going. Keep going. So sheep by themselves do not know issue, about issues of guidance. Guidance is God's problem. Our problem is obedience. We don't know what God wants us to do. He says, that's fine, I'll take responsibility for that. But God can't make the choices for us. Obedience to what God says is our responsibility, if you like. Guidance is God's responsibility, obedience is our responsibility. So here in this psalm, God says, I'll take responsibility for speaking to you. All I ask is that you don't be like a horse or a mule that has to be pulled you know, by force. Don't be like that. Be, be easy for me to work with. A bit like you know, a bit of wet clay on a, on a potter's wheel. God wants us so that we're not sort of hard clay and it's really hard to do anything with it. But... Uh, but sort of soft clay that his hands can just get hold of and he can shape us and adjust us and whatever, and we're easy for him to work with. It's a lovely prayer to, for us to pray, isn't it? Lord, will you help me to be easy for you to work with? So that, so that he doesn't have to um, sort of scratch his head when he thinks about, now how am I going to get them to go from there to there? 
And then in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 9 to 16, uh, it talks about kind of our, when we become Christians, it talks about our, now the, the spiritual nature of, our, of who we are. And um, this is quite, quite an important principle. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2, um, where shall I start? Nine, yes. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So it's not natural to human beings to know all the plans and purposes of God. As, as human beings who don't know God, we're born into this world separated from God. We've got no idea who he is or how he works or anything about him. So it's not natural for us to, to know these things. These are the things that God has revealed to us those who know him, by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, in a long way, of, as Paul often does, you know, why can't you just say it in one sentence? What he's actually trying to say there is that we're, it's not natural for us to know the things of God. But when we become Christians, something happens with us where our, we, we have this new nature from God. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. We become the temple of God. We're connected to the Father through the work of Jesus on the cross and then filled and inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And in that newness of nature that we now have, we've been born again, we're now alive to God, we now know intuitively, there's, a, there's an awareness within us to, to sense when God is speaking, to know what he's saying. There's something about us that can together discern the mind of Christ. God is not a mystery to us anymore. There's things when God says, we as his church hear them. There's things that as individuals, when we know him and he speaks to us in lots of different ways, there's something that witnesses within our spirits. Now, this is right. This is, this is God's way. This is, that's because we have the Spirit of God now within us. So, so the, the foundation for what I'm trying to, going to say today is that as a local church and as individuals who know the Lord, as most of us do, we can be confident that God will speak and that we will hear him. That's a wonderful reassurance in life. One of the most wonderful things about knowing the Lord is, yes, we know that our sins are forgiven and all our past is dealt with, but the wonderful thing also with that is we know that our future is secure. And he knows what he's doing, even when we, we don't. We can trust him. We can be confident in him. God does speak to us. And I want to say to any of us here this morning... And you're listening to me, you think, well, I don't, I'm not sure I really know God. Like, is it possible to know God like that? Yes, it is. You find in Scripture the stories of people who met with God, like Abraham. 
Abraham was a sun worshipper. I mean, I, I don't mean like he laid on a sunbed by the pool, not that kind of sun worshipper. But no, he worshipped the sun as a deity. He thought that's, that's, that, you know, he was kind of ignorant of God. He just worshipped sort of a, a created thing. But God spoke to him and, and told him things about his future and called him to follow him. Just as Jesus said to his disciples, come follow me. God spoke to Abraham years and years before that and said, you know, I'll make you the father of many nations. He gave him promises. And it says this, Abraham believed God. And he became uh, like the father of all of us, really. It was Abraham's faith in responding to God's voice to him that, that birthed God's family on earth, on earth. It was the disciples when Jesus said, come follow me, who said, yeah, we're coming, Lord. In the New Testament, the church was born from that. Whoever you are here this morning, and you may be kind of on the edges of Christian things, you might actually love being here, got some, met some great folk, you love the worship, you love the, the fellowship, all the activities, you might have great, your kids might have a great time, you might be here and have been very lonely in Colchester, and now you've found a, a group of people who really, really make you feel at home. All these wonderful benefits, but you might still feel a bit like a kind of an outsider, even though you're inside. And that one little bit missing is this, that God is speaking to you and calling you to follow him. And I don't actually need to say much more than that to you, because when God does start speaking to us, when we don't know him, it's a bit like you start walking and you know there's a stone in your shoe. And you can keep living the way you were living, but you just can't ignore the fact that there's a stone in your shoe. And no matter what you do with your shoe to try and move the stone, you can get some temporary relief, but eventually it'll come back. Ah, oh, there's that stone again. God will persistently keep calling you to himself. Not because he's angry with you, but because he's, he loves you. He, wants you. he sent his son to die for you. So his calling of you is by the Holy Spirit because he wants to bring you to a new birth where you now know the Father, you hear him for yourself, and you don't feel like an outsider being on the inside. You feel like an insider looking outside. So I, I think there's some people here today to who that applies. And I just want to say, yeah, today is the day of salvation. You don't have to do a course. You don't have to even really know very much about the Bible. It says about Abraham, he believed God and set out, even though he didn't know where he was going. I mean, that's... That's really bizarre. And becoming a Christian really is like that. You say, oh, I believe you, Jesus. I've got no idea where this is going. But I believe in you. I, I receive you into my life. Come in. Be my savior. Cleanse me from all my past. Wipe that out. Thank you on the cross. You took all, my, all the punishment and judgment that I rightly deserved. It's all now gone. Jesus took it all. He, all... Our sin was placed on him and all his righteousness was placed on us. Is there this incredible exchange? Everything we makes us unclean. He said, I'll have that. And in exchange, everything that is clean and pure and wonderful about me, I'll give it to you as a gift. And it's there today if you want that. I feel there may even be people from other nations and, and, and you found yourself here but God's been pursuing you geographically for a long while. You've not just come to Colchester and got the stone in your shoe. The stone was in your shoe back in the nation. You've got on an aeroplane, and it was still in your shoe on the aeroplane. 
and you're here and you think, I know God is pursuing me. Psalm 139 says, even if I go to the farthest sides of the earth, there, even there your spirit will pursue me. Here's the news. You, can't, you can run, but you can't hide. He'll get you. So just surrender now, and let's make it easy on everybody. Because there's far too much life still ahead for you. Now, when we come to know him, we find that um, God does start speaking Throughout Scripture, we find individuals in 1 Timothy 1.18. You remember Paul talks to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, um, I'm praying for you in keeping with the prophecies that have been made over your life. Now, a prophecy is basically when God reveals something to us, usually through someone else, or he might speak to us directly. And it's like God usually foretelling what he has for us, the next steps of our journey with him, or some steps that he wants us to take, or some things that are going to unfold in the future that we need to be attentive to. It's a bit like when God says, I'm going to do this, and I want you, we posture ourselves to make it easy then for God to say what he's said. We can't make it happen. So a few years ago, I was, so, I was very convinced that God had said to me and so he wanted us to have a season in London. I didn't know what that would look like at all. And it's taken, if I had time, it's about five years of journeying that's got us to where we are. But I position, we positioned ourselves saying, all right, Lord, we're open. Show us what the steps are. So prophecy is about God saying, this is the way, walk in it. And that also happens for you as a local church. Because you might think to yourself, I mean, I have to say, I love being here this morning. This is a great church. It, I mean, really, he hasn't paid me to say that. When really, it, it, it really, it, it, that wasn't the idea, was it? No, it's, it, it's, it's great. I can feel the Holy Spirit moving here. This is an easy place for God to work. I, I, I don't, you know, I travel around a lot. All right? This is very easy for God to work here at the moment. Please keep it like that. right? Because the Bible says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. The only thing that can stop God is when we harden our hearts and make it hard for him to work. This is, this is soft clay, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So however much God multiplies you or makes this church grow, which he will, keep, keep soft-heartedness, because it's easy for God to work here at the moment. But the question then is, well, what does he want us to do? That's a big question, isn't it? And you think, well, okay, how do we solve that? How do we solve the question of what does God want us to do? Well... Uh, The Bible talks, uh, or Paul in the epistles talks about a church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And what he's basically saying there, apart from the, the individuals that he's referring to, what he's saying is every church needs an apostolic foundation, which would be to do with its doctrine, its values, appointment of leadership, impartation of the Spirit, being caught up into mission into regions beyond, caring for the poor. These are the foundations of local church life that every church should, be, should, should have all of those things going on. Um, a prophetic foundation is, just like every person's got a unique thumbprint or fingerprint, none of our fingerprints are exactly the same, are they? They're all, they're all different. So it's true that a prophetic foundation in a local church will be different for every local church. There's something unique that God has for Redeemer that he doesn't have for any other church on the planet. 
And that is true for every church. Every local church has a unique prophetic foundation that has to be laid so that we know what are we supposed to do. Now, the question there comes, well, how do we get that? Well, we might... Uh, are you with me still? Okay, right, just checking, not it off. Right. Uh, so the question then is, how do we find out what we're supposed to do now as a local church, or as you as individuals? But let's, let's start with the local church. So we could say, well, that's, that's, uh, that's the job of the elders. They set the vision. They're the ones who find out what God wants us to do, and then get us all ready and cast vision and print leaflets and do all this stuff. And they're the ones who tell us what we're to do, because they, they create, they form the vision and, um, and so we're looking to them. They're the ones who are responsible for coming up with the vision. No, no, no. No. Elders are responsible for stewarding God's vision. Big difference. God has a vision for this church. That's why he brought it to birth. And he gives leaders to be responsible for taking the vision, for finding out and taking the vision that God has and faithfully stewarding it to completion. And part of their role is to then set the guidelines for the church and say, well, this is what we believe, this is our practice, this is biblical teaching, this is the way we function. They set the guidelines and, and put the kind of the the parameters in face that set, set the boundaries, set the, set the, the um, what can you call it? Yeah, the, set the borders, you know. Um, in other words, to keep us all safe. And then their job is to release the church with all the gifts that are represented in this room. Elders are not supposed to be the one doing it all and everybody applauds. They are supposed to be at the back of the queue shooing everybody forward, saying, you've got a gift, you've got a gift, you've got a gift, come on, this is what God's saying he wants us to do, this is what we believe we've heard together as a church, this is, what we, this is the prophetic foundation God's put in this church, come on, God's given every one of you a, vision, a, a, a gifting and a unique contribution, which is why it talks about us being a temple made up of living stones that all fit together because your unique shape, your unique gift, the things that make you you when they're in the hands of God's redemption in your life become exactly what is needed in a certain part of the wall in order for the temple to be built the way God imagines in his mind he wants it done. So there is no one who doesn't matter. And there's certainly not a hierarchy of who matters more than someone else. That is, that, that's just... In, the, in a human body, the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. That's what Paul says. You know, you can't say to, the leg can't say to the head, you know, you, what point are you? you know, if we don't have certain parts of the body, it's not going to function correctly. But learning where the body is supposed to be heading is what the prophetic foundation is all about. So elders shouldn't be sitting in a room coming up with some clever ideas. Please know. If it's about a flip chart and five or six people sitting around and start coming up with some doodles on the board, go home now. Really. We're about something bigger than that. I mean, isn't it quite... A, isn't it quite... There's something quite that makes you kind of tremble at the fact that God has called us, called you here, 
by his appointment for things that are on his heart for this town or city. Is it a city? City? I beg its pardon. (laughs) And beyond. There's a big part, I believe, of your vision that is beyond. I think you've known that right from the beginning. I don't, the fact that you're, a lot of you are nodding shows that God has already said that. I'm just reminding you. Because God has communicated it by the Spirit. Remember what it said in Corinthians. He who has the Spirit discerns the things that are of the Spirit. It resonates with you. That you've got, there's, there's an inheritance for you in the nations. There's inheritance for you in the nations. Particularly in the Far East. We've known that for years about this church. There's something in the East, the Far East... Not exclusively, but there's something particular about the Far East. I believe that, and I believe that resonates with, with what you're carrying. So it's not just about the, the elders. They set the guidelines, but they don't create the vision. They steward someone else's vision, God's vision. And you say, well, surely we get our prophetic foundation from the Bible. Well, well of course the way we do what God asks us to do needs to be biblical, but the Bible gives us what we could call indicatives and imperatives. Now, indicatives are the things it says are true for us. So we have been born again by the Spirit of God. That's, that's an indicative. We don't necessarily every day feel it. You might be, you know, you might get up tomorrow morning and have to go into the office and you think, I don't feel full of power and glory. But the truth is you are. Okay, it's an indicative, the Bible says. But the Bible also gives us what it calls imperatives. And imperatives are, this is how you should then live. So you don't tell lies, you don't steal, you don't, you know, all the things that it's, it, it, it says in Ephesians, put off this and put on this. But that doesn't, that's a general command that we should all live like that. Knowing who we are and behaving the way God wants his people to behave. It doesn't necessarily tell us the detail of what we do. So the Bible helps us to live, live life well, but doesn't speak specifically to us, although sometimes God does lift verses out and apply them to us individually, for sure, Illumina- illumination. Uh, so what about, well, let's just copy what someone else is doing and seeming to have some success with it. What about that? Well, a lot of churches do that. And to be honest, I think if we think of things like Alpha where many people have thought, you know, it's so good and it seems to have an anointing of God on it, let's do that. That does commend itself. But if all we ever do is copy what's working somewhere else, we may well miss the unique thumbprint that we've got here. Um, Far better, actually, the way to find out what the prophetic foundation is to realize this, that God will speak to his church collectively and individually. God will begin to speak to you. Remember Moses in um, Numbers 11.29, he says, because he used to hear God, didn't he? And people would wait, he'd go up the mountain, everyone would sort of tremble waiting for him to come down and say, what did God say? What did God say? And Moses said in Numbers 11, he said, I w- you know, are you jealous for my sake? I wish all the Lord's people were prophets. There's something yearning in him for that New Testament day that was going to come where it wasn't just a special man or woman of God who heard, <laughs> who heard God, but everybody would. And you find in Joel chapter 2, Joel prophesies, there'll come a day when God will pour out his spirit on all 
your sons and daughters. They'll prophesy, they'll have dreams, they'll have visions. A collective abundance of God speaking to everybody, not just special individuals that everyone has to go and see, otherwise we don't know what's going on. And then we find in the day of Pentecost, when the church is, is birthed in Acts 2, it says they were all together praying and suddenly the Holy Spirit poured himself upon them and they all spoke in tongues and they began to prophesy. That The longing of Moses and the longing of Joel began to happen. Every one of God's people in that collective setting waiting on him, probably about this number, all experienced the same immediacy of the Holy Spirit and knew God speaking to them, began to speak what God was saying, and collectively the church began to hear God together, each one having a different component. It says we heard each of them speaking in our own native tongue, praises to God, as well as prophecies that were coming out. We find then Paul writing to the Corinthians, uh, and they were somewhat, they'd somewhat gone a little bit crazy with it all, and as much as they were sort of, they were... There was no order to it. I mean, they, they, they'd taken this so... so. Uh, I mean, you have to admire them. They were keen. We'll give them that. But they'd lost sort of the sense of really, I don't know, managing it well. But Paul didn't shut them down and say, look, look, really, guys, you can't handle this, so just go back to having a sermon and singing a few songs. All right, let's just stop all this Holy Spirit stuff. No, he didn't say that. He just tried to put some guidelines in and said, look, you can all prophesy... He said, I speak in tongues as well. I speak in tongues more than all of you. I'd love you all to speak in tongues. Uh, he said, excel in these gifts, but I'd love you even more to prophesy. Every one of you can prophesy, he said, in turn. And let two or three prophesy, and then let's just pause, weigh what God is saying, then go again. You know, he's, he's encouraging abundance, but just putting some, some practical guidelines in there. He's aware that if you shut down the Spirit of God in the local church... We're not going to hear God. So there should be a fountain of God speaking amongst us. Both about what God wants to do collectively through you as a church and also sharing, blessing one another by getting prophetic insights, things that God wants to say to different people. In the, you know, a prophecy that is from God, biblically delivered, graciously delivered in a non in a non-heavy way, but a way that is very releasing. And there's ways we can, we can do that. We'll see that in a minute. It can change someone's life. It can change someone's life to hear something that makes them think, wow, God, God is calling me to something, and there's hope. It kind of it empowers us. It strengthens us. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So God desires to speak to his church. And we can all hear God for ourselves and for other people. Now, just to say uh, a few practical things about that. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14.3, Paul says, Whoever prophesies, prophesies to people for their encouragement, their strengthening, or their consolation. Those three things. So any legitimate prophecy will either encourage, strengthen, or console, or comfort. If someone brings a word to you, saying, oh, I think God's wanting to say this to you, and it leaves you feeling heavy, burdened, guilty, depressed, and trapped, it is not from God, ever. 
Now, some people say, well, what about if God wants to correct us? If I may quote Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Because if God does want to bring some correction to someone, there's ways of saying things that actually make someone feel better that they've been corrected rather than condemned, isn't it? How we use our words, what words we choose to use, even the posture we come with, makes all the difference. Even if, and I, I've never found, when God has corrected me on something, I've never felt worse. I've always felt better. Why? Because he doesn't condemn. He may convict, but it's only ever to bring freedom. God never, ever makes us feel bad about ourselves. He points us to Christ and makes us think, well, this bit of, there's a bit of work got to be done here, but I, you know, I, love, I love you and I want to do that because I want you to be free from feeling like that. You don't need to feel like that. That's how God works. We're like a father, a good father. So when we prophesy, make sure it's encouraging, strengthening, comforting. The majority of it will, will hardly ever be corrective anyway. Not in a, you know, not in a, thus saith the Lord, you're pathetic. You know, I mean, that's not, you're not going to say that, is he? You, know, you, you might feel that you want to prophesy that to yourself for it, but that's, that's, that's not right. God will only ever liberate you and make you feel more free in him as a result of any prophetic word. He really will. So we need to learn how to, to, to do those things. I often say to people, God speaks to the feller in the cellar, right? not the fanatic in the attic. Right? And we can get, you know, we can get uh, quite sort of stewed up in our heads about things. No, God speaks to the feller in the cellar. There's a, there's a settled witness of the Spirit when he speaks, not a frantic sort of stressful response to something we feel God may be saying. So there's hallmarks of how God deals with his people that we need to just be aware of. Are you still with me? Mm-hmm. Right. How much longer have I got, Hugh? Three hours? Yeah. All <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay, right, that's fine. Okay, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Never tell a preacher he's got 20 minutes, he'll take an hour. No, I'll, I'll, I'm, 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 we're getting there. Um, hmm. Another thing I would say, these, some of these are quite practical things. Uh, wherever possible... Um, don't prophesy to people one-to-one without someone else being there. And the reason I say that is just because it's helpful, and I'm not, it's not as a heavy rule, but just because it's helpful if someone didn't quite understand what you said or you perhaps didn't, you don't quite know how you perhaps came across, it's much better to have someone else there. Just, you know, so even, you know, in a context like this, you could just, oh, I think I've got a word for you. And you say, oh, um, They've got someone who we can just get to just listen so that you just make sure that you've got someone to check that with afterwards. Or record it. You know, praise God for mobile phones for that purpose. My phone is full of prophecies because I always record it if someone's got a word for me, if I've got the phone handy, because I want to go and listen to it later. I want to pray it into being. And I would say to you as an eldership team, when God speaks to you collectively about the way forward, don't put it under P in a filing cabinet, and then 20 years later, someone pulls it out and says, oh, look at that, God did say that would happen. Hey, add, look at that, fancy that. That's not what he wants us to do with the prophecy. He wants it to be the agenda. That's, that's the agenda you work from. That's what you pray for in the prayer meetings. 
That's what you, tr- you, you train the church getting ready for. It becomes the agenda. Now, it doesn't mean we don't then have, you know, we've got to discuss, I don't know, renting buildings or whatever. I mean, there are stuff, although you could argue that deacons should do that sort of stuff, but that's another subject. Um, elders should be, you know, teaching and praying and bringing these things to birth in their, in their sort of seeking God on behalf of the church. So it's not, it's not, God isn't entertaining us with some nice thoughts and we sort of think, oh, let's see if that happens. No, he's giving us an agenda to follow so that as a church, as a leadership, we line up, we test things, we weigh them. And if God's speaking, usually he'll say it multiple times through different people in different ways and it'll become a repeated theme. So it's almost like, well, it can almost feel like, oh, I've heard this so many times. Well, that's, I've found two things about that. One... Whenever God says something many times, it's because he wants to stir a lot of faith in you and certainty that it's true. That's the good news. The bad news is that it usually means you're going to need a lot of faith to see it happen. And it will face a lot of challenges to it. So I I used to be encouraged when I heard something several times. I think, oh, that's great. That really makes me certain of what God's saying. Now when I hear something several times, I think, all right, here we go. Here we go. Because God's just wanting to make sure, have you heard me? Have you heard me? Have you heard me? Because it's not, this isn't a cakewalk. Right, have you heard me? Yeah, I've heard you. And then when it does really all start kicking off, you think, did I hear you? Did I? Yeah, I did hear you. Yeah, I did hear you. So it's okay. I don't really understand what's going on. But I know you said this. So, yeah, I found that's just, if I reflect back, I would say that's, that, that would be my observation. And then we get uh, apostles and prophets. Ephesians uh, 2.20 talks about the, the foundation of apostles and prophets. And there are particular people, uh, men and women, who, you know, it says in Ephesians 4, when he ascended, when Christ went back to heaven, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. These are not the kind of gifts that, that were on the planet before the ascension. So the original 12 apostles, that's a different category of apostle. Right? It's, not, it's a different thing. Um, witnesses of the resurrection, etc., etc. There's a lot of different things. But when he ascended, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. That's a different kind of gift for a different season. It's a post-ascension gift, not a pre-ascension gift. And those gifts are vital, it says in Ephesians, that the church of Christ grow become mature, gain unity, not being tossed backwards and forwards, not being weak, not, but, but being strong. Uh, those, those gifts are not, we'll do this course and it will help you. Those gifts are people. It's incarnational. It's very, very personal and um, individual. And God has given those gifts, and one of the things that you know, I've loved about the sort of journey of New Frontiers, the bigger family that we've been part of right, for 40 years or so, is this wonderful desire to restore the Ephesians 4 gifts to the church because those are a key part of God's provision for the church to become healthy. In some small way, I'm trusting God that by me being here this morning, I'm going to be able to just leave a deposit of grace that will help you. I don't even know what that will be, but it's a weird thing to say about yourself. But you know, those of you who get called to, to, to have a grace on you to serve different churches translocally, 
you do have to actually come to the conclusion and be able to say, without feeling very awkward about saying it, I am a God's gift to this church. It's a strange thing to say, but it is true. When people are called, if you get someone who's called and anointed and given a grace gift by God to be an evangelist, they can walk into a room and just talk about, I don't know, what they had for breakfast, make an appeal and ten people get saved. Think, how? 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 And you think, I've just been doing four Alpha courses for nine weeks and, you know, not seeing anything like that. What is the difference? It's that from his ascended position, Christ has given a gift. It's a grace gift. It's not a natural talent. And often with that um, comes a great deal of suffering, difficulty, um, God will breed dependency. Remember, Apostle Paul said, I've learned when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So when he learned it wasn't about him and what his gifts were or how, his, how he could, I don't know, do wonderful things, he, he felt rubbish very often in terms of physically weak, discouraged. All sorts of challenges came to him. And he said, you know, th- these things happened that I might rely on God, not on myself. So God will... God will um, shape these gifts into a humble posture. And I feel that God will give you people who in future days will be sent to the nations and they will, they will some of them will carry grace gifts of this kind into nations and they will start to plant churches and lay foundations and they will, apostolic gifts will be birthed among you And it will be, sometimes you'll see people going from among you and they will have greater success where they land than they ever contributed here. Why? Because in a time and a season, the seed will fall in the ground and apostolic and prophetic ministries will come out of the ground that you nurtured and watered here. So your family will be very large in terms of relational connection, not because of wise and clever drawing lines on a map, but you will... Plant people. You will plant people in nations and they will, by the grace of God, produce families of churches of their own out of what you've given to them and invested in them. You've put them in a greenhouse here and they will be planted out from the greenhouse and become very, very fruitful because of what you gave them here. I believe that is part of your inheritance. And that's actually Ephesians 4 gifts that will be nurtured and birthed here. And many will come from other nations and go to other nations. It will be a bit like a train station where people will know that it's not their final destination, but they'll enjoy being there. They'll enjoy waiting for the number to come up on the the thing. And you'll have the joy of resourcing them to go on the next part of the journey. Resourcing is going to be an important thing here. It will cost you tens of thousands of pounds to resource church planting into other nations. I think God will give you business people and benefactors so that even with all the generous giving you have as a church, there'll be an accelerator given through people believing in what you're planting um, into. None of that is in my notes, right? That's, That's a prophetic burden that I want you to pray about and weigh and, and, and think about. Um, 
Yeah, I think I'm going to stop there. Because I want to, um, yeah, I just want to pray for you as a church. And uh, does that, has that made sense? This is important that, that you sort of, that you feel, I want you to feel empowered. Because um, this, is, this is like a, a pot boiling here. And uh, it hasn't quite come to the boil yet. I think you've got another move yet in the, in the city. Not the town, in the city. I, don't, I think you've got another move coming. The, the university is important to you. And you're, you're not geographically near it at the moment, are you? Um, but I don't think that's... That's not going to stop what God's going to do, whether you're near it or away from it. I don't think... But the university, I think, is really key for you. So let's stand together. I just want to... Just sort of see what, and if the band want to come back, we could just. Um, yeah. Let's just wait on the Lord and see what He would do. I think there's some of you here in this room, different ages, some of you are young, some of you are older, and you're, you're desperately on your heart is the question, Lord, what, do, what should I do with my life? Sometimes when you get a bit older, you think, well, should I now just reflect on what I've done? No. Abraham was old when God spoke to him. Moses was older. You know, age is just a number in God's kingdom. So we're all going to live for eternity anyway. So it's all about the season ahead. And some of you younger folk, you've got your life ahead of you and you're thinking, what, what, do, I, what do I do for God? How do I, th- I think somehow this morning, God just wants us to freshly surrender to him and just to say, whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say, I embrace it now by faith. I want to follow you. I want to follow you, which is all you ask. If that, if you kind of feel stirred for that, then just lift your hands to the Lord and let's ask Holy Spirit that you will come and rest upon the church here, Lord. These open-hearted, open-hearted people, Lord, who 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 want to please you, who want to follow you. There's there's journeys of faith ahead. There's journeys of faith. Let me say to you, you can trust God to get it right. Okay, you can trust him to get it right. Sometimes it feels, you know, we do go through dark nights of, you know, thinking, my goodness, what's going on? But it always... All things work together for the good of those that love God. Somehow it all pans out. So don't worry about the way the journey pans out. Just, just keep an open posture. Determine to keep an open posture for you to be easy for God to work with for the rest of your life. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. So Holy Spirit, fall upon this room now, Lord. Fall upon every heart, willing heart, Willing heart. And just say, so receive the Holy Spirit now, because the more we receive the Holy Spirit, the more we'll start to 
use the gifts of the Spirit and be attentive to the Lord. You, you know, the Holy, receiving the Holy Spirit is not like some sort of secret ritual you've got to go. He, he, Jesus said those who believed in him, out of their innermost being, will flow. He's a promise. It will flow rivers of living water. So just begin to receive now. Just oh, it, it, Receiving simply means opening your heart and trusting God that he's giving now. You don't have to do anything. You're receiving what he's promised. Holy Spirit, come. By your gracious hand, rest upon people across this room. Fill us more and more. Fill us again. Fill us again. Fill us again. Take us to higher water levels, Lord. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Yes, let the Lord rest on on you now. Resting on you. Resting on you. Numbers of you are just beginning to feel almost like a a weight. It's like a it's like if you go through a tent flap and there's the, the, the curtain of the tent just sort of it's like a weight, isn't it? Just sort of some of you are beginning to feel physically. It's like the presence of God. It, it, sometimes God manifests his presence in different ways. Some of you are feeling that weight. Just drink deeply of the spirit by faith. I'm, re- I'm receiving this. Uh, young young gentleman there uh, next to you, just nudging. Yes, God, Josh. God's hands on you, Josh. His hand is on your life. There's something he's birthing in you that you don't even see yet. But I see in you um, soil that's been ploughed up ready. You're, you're, You're desiring God's work in your life. And I just feel he wants to promise you today that there's much ahead for you. Make good choices in this season of your life because it will facilitate a much bigger trajectory that's coming. So God, God just wants you to know he sees you. He's heard your prayers. He's, he's saying to you, don't think of yourself as lost in the crowd. No, he's seen you. He's heard you. He's even got me to drive here today to say to you, I've heard you, Josh. I've heard you. My hand's on you. You can trust me with the way ahead. Okay? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You matter to God. You matter to God. And I just want to pray for this church, Lord, that you would begin to speak more and more about the future. You begin to lay your blueprint out, Lord. Roll the, the architect's plans out that we can see in due course the shape of what you're doing. 
Thank you, Lord. How many of you are just sensing, you're feeling the presence of God just resting on you at the moment? Just put your hand up if you, could, if you could, just can sense that God is resting on you in some way. Oh, that's great. That's great. The rest of you, if you not put your hand up, just look around for someone near you and just put your hand on them and start praying for God to bless. Just keep your hand up, those of you who did. There's quite a number of you. Just put your hand up. Just, just start to bless what God is doing. If you're near someone with their hand up, just do that. Just pray, Holy Spirit, come, fill, fill, fill this dear brother or sister. God's filling you with the Holy Spirit now. For some of you, it'll mean new spiritual gifts or a new sense of God, faith. I think God's giving gifts of faith across the room and hope. That dear, uh, dear sister there with the blue scarf on, God's saying to you, there's hope. There's real hope for game-changing game-changing situations. I don't know. I, I don't, what am I saying? God's going to involve you in things that look hopeless. And you're going to bring hope, gospel hope, into situations that other people have given up on. And there's something about you, something even about your countenance, even the, 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 the sense I can see you're a hope bringer. You, 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 there's something about hope written right across you. And God's going to use you to bring hope to the hopeless. I think it's something to do with your work, uh, has, has some implication with that, but I think it's going to go further and wider than that. Uh, maybe, maybe it's an even... I don't know whether it's something to do with inner city, inner, inner city uh, things. Um, maybe not even in this nation. It's in, in different places, projects. I see projects in different places. And it's almost like they're a cookie cutter project. It's the same project, but you're replicating it in different places. I'd, I can't quite see the detail, but it's about hope. It's almost like hope centers. Something of, I don't know, that's what I've got. So just, just pray that for, that, I hope that makes some sense. But anyway, that's what I'm seeing. And uh, Hugh mentioned earlier about uh, Nigeria. He just mentioned about the elections. I think there's going to be a strong connection with Nigeria here. Because um, we've been talking about the East quite a lot. I think there's something very relational going to happen with Nigeria. And it's something to water. It's not an accident that God's connected you with Nigeria. There's, it's in your hearts. And there's something about that that's going to... It's not there yet. It's like a keep nurturing, keep nurturing, watering the seeds of relationship with Nigeria somehow. God will give you kindred spirits and uh, he'll give you kindred spirits who are already in Nigeria and then people will be trained from Nigeria. So just, it's like um, a bridge being built. It'll go two ways. It'll be a two-way bridge, big bridge. <laughs> 